This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, isn't that a wonderful truth that Jesus shines brighter than all the angels heaven can boast? Thank you so much for bringing those words to us this morning, Myrna, and how they remind us of how fair our Lord Jesus is, and he's the one that we, 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 look, we long for and look for in, the, in all the pages of Scripture and even in the book of Ruth, if you'd turn there, please, to Ruth chapter 2 and verse um, 2, as we continue uh, this morning in seeing the fairness of the Lord Jesus in some of these characters in uh, Ruth chapter two, starting at verse two. Let's pray first. Father, we would just pray now the words of the hymn that, Lord, hushed my heart to listen while I wait on thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter two, verse two. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elamelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, it is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheep. So she came, hath continued, even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why 
have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. Now, we've been following Ruth in her journey from the point in her life, that period of her life, which is really the cost of faithfulness, and now we're entering into just beginning the rewards of faithfulness. Her cost of faithfulness was not insignificant. In order to be faithful to the Lord and to Naomi, she had to follow right in the steps of Abraham, who left his country, she had to leave her country. Who left his people, she had to leave her people. Who left her parents, he had to leave her parents. And like Abraham, Ruth also sat down and did what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do when he spoke in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33, and and he said it like this. He said, there went great multitudes unto him. So really get this scene in your mind. Great multitudes are following him, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come after me, or come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it. All that behold, it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, he wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first? and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." Now, here was an instance when when we're told here in verse 25, there were great multitudes that were coming, great multitudes that were coming to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We got that picture in our scene. All these people, we can see them. Some of them, they've seen his miracles and they're convinced, wow, we saw the miracles. He's the promised Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the Lord God in the flesh. We're gonna go. And they wanna see more miracles and he spoke to them in John 2.23. In John 2.23, when he said, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. See, that great miracle, great, great miracles that he did there, they saw, they believed. Then there was the great multitude of this group that were following him, and that was made up of those who thought, you know, I can personally benefit uh, from following him. I mean, some were fed bread, and, and they were following him, and he spoke about them also in John 6, 26. In John 6, 26, when he said, Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And, and so that great multitude was made up of those who were following him because they wanted personal benefit and w- more food. Maybe some, some healing for myself, for my family, for my friends, somebody. I can benefit. I'm following. And then there were those who, they loved his teaching. His teaching was so different. 
Oh, compared to the typical teaching of the scribes, that's like walking through a lumberyard and kicking dust up in the air and trying to breathe. And so it says about his teaching in Mark 1.22, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And so they were astonished at his doctrine. They wanted just to hear more. I want to hear more. That's interesting. I never heard this before. I'm astonished I never heard that. And there was a great multitude following him of those that just wanted more teaching. I want to listen. More teaching. So from this scene of these great multitudes following him, we ask the question, all these people are coming. What does he do? Does he turn around and encourage them and say, oh, keep following? Come on. More the better. Does he tell them that it's great that you're following me and, and, and go out and get your family and your friends and have them call? What does he do? He does something that is nothing short of shocking. He turns, and as he speaks to them, he discourages them. He discourages them with the, with the discouraging phrase that he repeats three times with, you cannot be my disciple. He says, you cannot be my disciple, verse 26, where he said, he cannot be my disciple, verse 27, he cannot be my disciple, verse 33, he cannot be my disciple. He discourages them with a discouraging prediction that he repeats three times of starting well and not being able to finish. And in verse 28, he says that where he raised the question of not being able to finish when he said he, have, he doesn't have sufficient to finish. In verse 29, where he said, not able to finish. In verse 33, he said, not able to finish. So when he turns around and he sees the great multitudes that are following him, what does the Lord Jesus Christ say to them? He said something very surprising and shocking in this discouragement. And then what he does is he addresses this great people. He addresses individuals. It's like he, he's, he's, he's speaking to single persons here. He speaks to the individual in verse 25. He says, if any man. So there's this great multitude, and he's talking about any man. And in verse, he's speaking to the individual in verse 26 when he says, his own life. And, in, and, and he speaks to the individual in verse 27 when he says, whosoever. All these terms, if any man, his own life, whosoever. He's speaking to the individual in verse 28. He looks at each one, it's like he's looking into the face of each one, and he says, which of you? Which of you? He speaks to the individual in verses 29, 31, 32, 33, when he uses the singular he. Is it he referring to just one person? He speaks to the individual in verse 30 when he said, this man. And especially he drives home. He's speaking to the individual's when he, again, looking over the faces of the people in verse 33, he said, whosoever he be of you. And so when he said these words, it's just like at the Last Supper, when everybody in the Last Supper was wondering after he said that he was gonna be betrayed, and they all came around one by one and said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? One by one, in that same manner, we can see him turning to those, these, this great multitude and saying, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Which one of you will be my disciple? And that's just what he's doing right now in our group today. He's just what he's doing right now in our group. He sees, he sees this group. 
He says every group, and, and, and just like the great multitudes who were following him, he, he, he's speaking to each person, me also, as an individual, and, and he's speaking to us individually. And again, what, what he said to those individuals in that group was shocking because he spoke about hatred of father, hatred of mother, hatred of wife, hatred of children, hatred of brethren, hatred of sisters, hatred of your own life. I mean, everybody must be in shock. I mean, in verse 26, if any man come after me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And then as if it wasn't enough to discourage those who were following the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes on to talk about leaving everything on earth as a criteria for being his disciple. He says in verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. How can this be? How can this be part of the Christian message Well, on what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ about hating father and mother and children and brothers and sisters and wife and, and your own self? That's the criteria for being a disciple of the Lord? Is that what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? You have to leave all? You have to not just depart? You have to leave everything? What does all this mean? Well, Ruth understood what it meant. Ruth understood very well what it meant. And how many times have I heard a Jewish person tell me they cannot follow the Lord Jesus Christ because their mother or their father, before they died, made them swear, made them promise that they would not become a Christian. I mean, it's as if the pull of the ancestors, it's the pull of the ancestors, it's not just the Jewish people, it's a pull of the ancestors from the grave, it's strong. You know, it's a pull of the ancestors is strong. You know, there's the two calls. It's as strong as if, as if there's a hand coming out of the grave of the deceased mother to the deceased father and a voice that's saying, take my hand, turn away from Christ, take my hand to the grave and come as I did without Christ, as I did. Remember that promise that you made to me of not becoming a Christian, Take my hand, be faithful to your father, be faithful to your mother. And then on the other hand, there's one simple call from the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 10, 27 through 28, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So what, is, what did Ruth do? She did this, no, I won't take your hand. And she put out her hand like this. I will take your hand. As the Lord Jesus Christ says in, in Proverbs 8, 18 through 21, riches and honor are with me. So she's taking a hand. Durable riches and righteousness. My fruit's better than gold. Yea, than fine gold. My revenue, the choice silver. Now, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit treasures in substance, I'll fill their treasures. Well, Ruth knew what it was like to do this and this, and that's what she did. And each voice is heard clearly, and the decision is made. And the decision is made. The good decision is, I choose Christ. And if my father and my mother are telling me to turn away from Christ, then I choose to love Christ, and I choose to hate, my, hate them. When I choose Christ, and, and when contemporaries of sisters and brothers say, be with us who reject Christ, then I choose Christ. I choose to love Christ. And if they say, I choose Christ, if it means to hate them, I choose Christ. 
I choose to love Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted this situation to be crystal clear, absolutely crystal clear in the minds of each person in that great multitude. He wanted each person in that great multitude to see clearly the issue of, of yes, being able to begin, but no, not being able to finish. And that's the issue. We see this so often in Mexico. In Mexico, as you drive along, you take that drive from Tecate down to Ensenada, the, the beautiful drive, and you, you're driving down there, it's not just there, all over, and you see the most beautiful stone wall or the most gorgeous, intricate, wrought iron fence, gate. It just looks so nice. And you sit there and you say, well, let me just kind of look at this a little bit. And you drive, you sort of admiring the beautiful stonework and the, oh, it's so nice. And then all of a sudden, it just stops. <laughs> it's not completed. The wall is like, like, what happened? And they gave up, you know. <laughs> they had a nice idea. You know, that's the way it is in Mexico. Um, you know, we're trying to get approval for a new cancer therapy, a new cancer uh, therapeutic down there working with the government in Mexico City. We have to have just about a full, we have an employee down there, a lawyer in Mexico City. Does nothing more than just work with the ministries to make sure they follow through with what they promised they would do. You see, the intention to build the wall or the fence was fantastic. But the inability to finish stands as a monument to not being able to finish. And to start with Christ and not finish is a tragedy. So that three times in these verses, he spoke of the issue of not being able to begin, but not being able to finish. Verse 28, intending to build a tower, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Verse 29, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it. Verse 30, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says to these great multitudes for them, would you just stop where you are, just stop and think before you start following me. And he uses this phrase twice in verse 28, sitteth not down first. In verse 31, sitteth not down first. First step, it's so tragic when, when he says that, sitteth not down first. For the person of action who wants to move right now, it, this is not easy to do. It's not easy to sit down first. But the Lord is saying, stop, don't come and begin until you sit down first. I want you to finish. I want you to finish, but you gotta know the cost that may come your way. So settle it. Sit down and count the cost. You're gonna love Christ. You're gonna follow him, even if it comes down to hating your mother and your father because they force you to. Even if it comes down to hating your wife because she forces you to. Children, brothers, sisters, your own life. That may say, I don't want. Even if it comes to that, the cost to love and follow Christ may come to hating yourself. The cost to love and follow Christ may come to giving up all your treasures, possessions on earth. Sit down first, settle it, think about it, and then come. And so he says, but he says this. I want to tell you one thing. Whatever cost you think there, uh, there, there may be, I'll make it up to you, and more. It is worth it. 
Whatever the cost is, he made it very clear, it's worth it. It's worth the cost because he said in Mark 10, 29, Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, there's no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses and, chi- and children, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. So he says, so God is a good accountant and he's got his pencil out, he's got his book out. He says, I'm keeping track of everything you lost and I'll make it up to you. That's his promise. And that's exactly where Ruth was. Ruth was exactly here. That's what Ruth was. She was here. She chose to love Jehovah Jesus. And and she was gonna follow Naomi back to the people of Jehovah Jesus. And she said no to her people. And she said no to her parents. And she said no to her country. And they were all crying out to Ruth with the hand that was coming up. Ruth, come back. Ruth, turn back to us. Turn away from this Jehovah Jesus. Don't follow him. Go with us. And Ruth had to sit down first and count the cost. And she saw the hand of her ancestors coming out of that grave, reaching for her, saying, take my hand. She heard that voice. Ruth, come back. Ruth, don't follow. Ruth, turn away from Naomi. Ruth, turn away from Jehovah Jesus. Ruth, don't turn your back on us. Ruth, don't turn your back on your country. Don't turn your back on your people. Don't turn your back on your father and your mother. It's not too late, Ruth. Ruth, turn away from Naomi. Turn away from God. Turn back to us. And Ruth sat down, she sat down first and she counted the cost. And after sitting down, Ruth got up and said, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna be faithful to Naomi. I'm gonna be faithful to Jehovah Jesus. And I'm gonna be unfaithful, if you will, to my father, my mother, my people, my country, so that I can love and follow Jehovah Jesus. That's the cost of faithfulness. You know, we're, this is the Sunday before the next Sunday, which is baptism. Baptism here at the chapel, the essential meaning of baptism. If a person wants to capture the essential meaning of baptism, then that person will mean by their baptism that they first sat down and counted the cost of faithfulness. They counted the cost of faithfulness to love Christ, to follow Christ. And that person, by being baptized, is saying, by my baptism, I mean to say that if to love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ costs me my relationship with my father, my mother, my spouse, my brothers, my sisters, I choose Christ. That's what it means. By my baptism, I mean to say, if to love and follow Christ costs me all my possessions in my very life, I choose Christ. That's what it means. Baptism only has meaning if a person means by his baptism that he's counted the cost of faithfulness. Faithfulness to follow Christ, and he's willing to pay the price when it comes to choosing Christ above all else. Baptism is a statement. It's a statement of a lifelong dedication of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been right here with Ruth, and just like Ruth, you could say, it's just like Ruth is gonna be baptized here in chapter one. In verse 16, 
You know, the, the person about to baptize Ruth says to Ruth, Ruth, before I baptize, baptize you, what statement do you want to make to the people? And it's just like Ruth took, takes the microphone. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.